Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Delaware County Online. Uh, what a majestic chapter, John 17. It's called the Holy of Holies because the entire chapter is a prayer of Jesus. In the other Gospels, we heard that Jesus went to a place to pray, but here we hear him praying to the Father. And so uh, through this whole time of doing church online, I've wanted to do a Bible study format because that's what this church was born out of. So I've asked some friends and co-laborers to join me. Lisa Mars, who's the head of our ministry development, is here. Thanks for being with us, Lisa. Mike Gags, back from New York. Mike, thanks for being here. Anna Walker-Roberts, who's part of our video team. Anna, thanks for being here. And Randall Brown's been a friend for a long time. He's on my board. You see him down in Journey Kids. For how many years, Randall? At least 20. At least 20 years. So, guys, thanks for joining us. Um, When we're done the Bible study, I'm going to announce the reopening of Calvary Chapel for services, live and in person. I think a lot of you will be happy about that. We'll give you survey results, and we have a short video on what church will look like. That's all at the end, but... But guys, we just heard John 17. It's this majestic chapter. A lot of us read it, but even hearing it again, just thoughts come to your mind. So let's go around just initial quick thoughts. Lisa? Yeah, I think what really resonated with me was the idea of oneness. And I think that uh, Jesus prayed that because he knew it was going to be a challenge for us as believers. And I think that for me, just that's what I've actually been wrestling with and talking to other believers, just wrestling with this idea of oneness big part of the chapter. Mike? Oh, I'm fresh off of the Mere Christianity class where C.S. Lewis discusses the Trinity. So I think a big thing for me is just, uh, we unpack the idea, if if God is love, how is God love? Mm. Like, how can God actually be love? And C.S. Lewis talks about how, because God is three persons in one, Mm. you actually can have love without anybody else involved. And so you watch this chapter and it's like, if you can't even follow along who's who, he, Jesus is like, I and you and they and us and me. And you're like, what's going on? It's like, that's what the Trinity is actually like. Yeah. And so it's just, you get a little peek inside the Trinity with this. Yeah. Anna? Yeah, I think kind of tying those together, there's this feeling that unity and love are kind of working in this never-ending cycle of you can't have one without the other. Um, and in 1710, it says, all I have is yours and all you have is mine. And I think that's such a great description of what it is like to live in a loving community, in an intentional Christian community, viewing that what I have doesn't really belong to me and what you have doesn't really belong to you, but it all belongs to the Lord, and we're all sharing that amongst ourselves. And that's hard, but that's living in love and a way that we practice unity. Really good thought. Randall? Yeah, and for me, it's the relationship between Jesus and God. He's at a point in his life where it's the most trying part of his life. And what does he do? He relies on his relationship with God, a relationship I would love to have each and every day and every father would like to have with their son. So that's what really resonated with me with this verse. My takeaway is eternal life. I don't know why uh, John seems to thrive on this. He, He uses the word eternal life 17 times. Jesus has been talking about heaven in the upper room. He's talking about the glory that he had before with the Father. Randall, even we're the same age, although this panel thinks you look 35. Uh, I am, man. Which has crushingly made my day miserable. But you and I are moving. Look, any of us could die tomorrow, but we're getting closer. I watched the Ravi Zacharias Memorial, so God-honoring today. And they were playing clips of Ravi, and Ravi was saying that there's a thin line between the now and the not yet. Jesus' hour is over, and, and now it's the glory ahead of him. Uh, you talked about the takeaway being the father's relationship with the son. 
uh, tie that into eternal life and, and what that means for you. Yeah, sure. For me, when I was younger, obviously my thoughts about where I was in this world and how I was moving through this world are quite a bit different than where they are now. As a young, old person, as I would say, <laughs> at this point in my life, my relationship with God is much deeper. Everything that I do and what I want people to receive from me, I want it to be glorified through God. I want to feel that, hey, I'm doing these things for the glorification of God. So my perspective in life has changed quite a bit over the last, I'd say, 10 years from mm -hmm. the time I was 40 till I'm now young 50. <laughs> <laughs> now, commentators are divided, and I'm not sure where I stand Mike, I'll go to you on this question, that the glory Jesus was talking about was actually the cross. His glorifying the Father was completing the work. And, and I've talked a lot about how when we use our gifts and talents, that's the glory. Others say, no, the glory is heaven, that when we get to heaven, you know, the oneness you talked about, we'll have a pure heart, we'll have pure motives. Uh, where do you lean and what's your takeaway? Both. <laughs> Yeah, I think like for me personally in life, just trying to explore what it means to be an imitator of Christ, this chapter seems to reveal the whole game because it's like to truly be an imitator of Christ is to, um, you know, G th this, is this is the last prayer that Jesus prays before he goes to the cross and dies. Yeah. And that's like, you know, however you look at the Trinity, that death is an agreement basically between those personalities and God that this is what we want to do for the sake of humanity. But Jesus is the one who has to do it, right? Yeah. So that, that's complicated. Yeah. But what you see is Jesus praying this prayer of unity and at the same time, right before he goes and gives himself, you know, as a ransom for many. There, there's some, I forget who said this, but there's like a theologian who, who he, he looked at all the disciples after Christ mm. and they all go and the, the gospels dispersed everywhere and all of those guys die as martyrs. Mm. And he ends the chapter and he goes, so it appears that if you follow Christ and don't end up dead, you have some explaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the thing is like, we're called to such a ridiculous standard. And basically what's promised at the end of that is true unity, true love, but mm. it comes with sacrifice. Seems like we're going way to the end of the chapter because this oneness theme is big. Anna, you did the survey for us. Uh, we're looking at this oneness of a trinity, which is only two or three. There's a lot of twos and threes in the Bible. Wherever two or three are gathered, if, if you have a problem with your brother, Matthew 18, you, you work it out, one or two, or you call for the elders of the church. One of the surprises of the survey, and, and thanks for conducting the survey, is the small group answers. And small group's going to be important as we go forward in this pandemic, so why don't you share yeah, we had written on the survey that we were hoping and praying that we could maybe have 10 new small groups grow out of this time where people have been spending more time alone and I think we're all really hungry for connection and for that on a meaningful level, not just on a big group getting together, but like actual conversation. And we had over 40 people who volunteered saying they want to pop up and start a small group. And that was so much more than we asked for or imagined. Um, and part of doing this this morning is us just being excited to say, like, it, it is pretty simple to get together and talk about God's word. And Anna, you live this. Uh, your husband, Adler, who works in youth ministry and yourself, have a small group in Center City. You believe in small group. Uh, but the survey said almost three-quarters of our church are not connected in a small group. 
Yeah, um, we had about 850 people fill out the survey, which is a huge sample size for our church, so thank you so much for everyone who filled it out. And out of that, about 62% of people said that they're not involved in a small group, um, which in my opinion is way too many. You know, hopefully we sh some of us are in informal small groups, but we should be gathering together and doing this because it's what God told us to do. Mike, you're in a connect group in New York City, a uh, very transient city. Um, has the small group helped you? Um, you I, I think I've watched you live in small communities your whole life. Why don't you share your experience? Well, I think, like, obviously, living in small groups, like, living life in small groups is important. I mean, it goes back to for the sake of stirring each other up in love and good works, do not forsake the gathering yourselves together. No one said you had to gather in 2,000 person churches. No one said yeah. it had to be two people groups, you know? But are you gathering yourselves together? Now, right now, that's extremely difficult. And I think that you can vacillate between like two points. So when quarantine hit, the first two weeks, I was Zoom crazy. Everybody had a Zoom invite. Everybody had a birthday party. And, like, and so I was on Zoom like from 5 to 10 every single night. And I think after a bit, that tends to cool down because you're like, you know what? I don't know that I was meant to experience all of my community through this screen. Um, but then swing in the other direction, we were never meant to be in isolation. For the sake of stirring yourself up, you actually need to be stirred up. Yeah. Gather yourselves together. And so if you find yourself not very stirred up right now, Maybe it's because you're not really gathering yourself together. Whatever format we can gather together, yeah. we should. And I think that's what Anna, you know, like what we're learning is people want to be together, whether that is a Zoom small group or whether, you know, in the next month or two months, we're able to get together in smaller groups. The church is literally wherever we gather. Yeah. And that's the cool blessing of this whole thing. But don't forsake it. And so we'll try and figure out how we can do that. Yeah. So, Lisa, I was going to say you've been around a long time, but that's probably not a good thing to say. No, it isn't. Even though you look as young <laughs> as Randall. Thank you. Um, but you are probably more immersed with people than anybody here. You lead a lot of ministry initiatives and have. You know as much as I know, anybody that leads a small community, there's problems, right? There, there's usually a, uh, I would call a brusque person in the midst. Uh, gossip's big. Mm -hmm. And yet, I think what Mike said, when Jesus talks about unity, we think the big C church but unity starts small. Why don't you share some of your experiences? Yeah, I definitely think that unity starts small, and I think it um, starts with transparency, authenticity, and also talking to one another and communicating. And, you know, in, in verse 3 here it said that, you know, eternal life is knowing, knowing. Um, God, and God wants us to know each other. I think one of the problems in our society with social media, I heard a neuroscience said, we have no experiential knowledge mm -hmm. of anybody. We think we know things about people because we see it in our news feed, we read articles, but the knowing that God requires does come from community, it comes from talking to one another, it, it also comes from compassion. Yeah. and listening to one another. And yeah. I think when you talk about conflicts and issues, even right now you know, in our society, there's a lot of conflicts, there's yeah. a lot of issues, there's a lot of polarization, but as Christians, it's our obligation, I feel, to get into community, to get into small group, to get into one-on-one -on -one conversation and begin to know one another and hear one another. That's really good. I think, the, I think the thing I've been reflecting on a lot, especially this week, is thank God that there are things coming to the surface that make us brush up against each other because you don't get growth without the friction, you know? And I, I remember Anne Lamont said, you can be sure that you've made God in your own image when it turns out God hates all the same people you do. <laughs> and the reality is we get this polarization, especially right now, this week, it all comes to the surface again. And you look at it and you're like, 
ask yourself a question. If God hates all the same people as you, are you reading the gospel or are you making God in your own image? And that's a huge question we have to ask. And Randall, where Mike's going is an event that happened this week in Minneapolis where, you know, before we got in here, you shared really, really has, you know, troubled your spirit. Why don't you share some of your thoughts? Right, absolutely. I think we all know what's going on in Minnesota over the last couple of days. And for me personally, as an African-American male, uh, that hit me and hit me hard, harder than I thought yeah. that it would. I've had a couple of conversations with individuals that look like me and have gone through similar experiences. And what I've brought out of that is, yes, we need to communicate these feelings. I, I felt that if I didn't have that group, I didn't have that support group, it would not enable me to go out and have these conversations with the broader public. And that's where I am now which I think has been very helpful. I've had conversations about how I feel with people that don't look like me. And surprising to me, they have a great understanding of where I am. Mm. Some of them had experiences that I probably would have never learned about if we didn't have this conversation. So I think the transparency has opened up that dialogue and it's been helpful for me over the last couple of days. Yeah. So we'll talk about that oneness again and we'll get into this topic a little more because at the end of the chapter, but I want to stay with what Lisa said, the early verses. And one of the things I like to do is read later writings. And, and John's not, I mean, he's writing later even in the gospel. But in 1 John 3, 2, he says, what we will be, what you and I will be on, on the other side of eternity has not yet, yet been made known to us, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. So again, this eternity theme is running through this. And, and I was thinking about that verse where it says, when someone comes to Christ, the angels rejoice. And I had this aha moment, like they're rejoicing, yeah, uh, because a, a, someone has come to salvation. But Anna, I think they're rejoicing because they know what lies on the other side. They know what we'll be like. Uh, the Bible says the angels, uh, they paraphrase, they scratch their heads. They don't know why God's favor rests on us. We're made in the image of God. But they see Revelation 4. They see us on the other side in this glory. What's that mean to you? Well, I think that in our lives, we get glimpses of that at times. Yeah. Like some, sometimes it could be something as simple as like just standing and seeing a sunset and realizing that the maker of that like is holding this all together. You yeah. know, the, that nature might proclaim that. And sometimes I think we get to see that sort of glory happen through relationships, like through the unity that we're talking about. And when a broken relationship is stored or when something is healed, that we get to see that come to the surface. Um, and we were talking earlier and I was sharing a little bit about a relationship that I had in high school and college, a dating relationship with another believer. Um, and we had a very difficult breakup and both were very hurt, you know, and we're trying to move through that as like, you know, young 20 somethings. And he was also the worship leader at my church. And so I would go to church on Sunday and be confronted with trying to worship God, um, who I still really liked, um, but being led by a person <laughs> who at the moment I really didn't. Um, and that was, you know, kind of a stumbling block in my relationship with God. And I was coming up against my own humanity in that. And I think what happened is that through Christ, through love, through this desire for the church to be in unity, what the Holy Spirit did is he helped me to see, to take the anger that I was feeling towards this other broken person who was hurting too, 
and transfer that onto just being mad at the brokenness of the world instead of being mad at this other person, being mad at the devil or sin, you know, or something else that's not this other human being across from me. Um, and I think that there was kind of like my heart was in a fist and I was able to let that go. And God is always wanting to work in us a healing act that will bring glory on earth. But we have to be willing as believers and spur each other on as believers to let that happen because we get in the way a lot. Yeah, I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, we're going to find out, and I've experienced this, that, you know, we think, we think what God does, he does on a stage like this, and it's not true. I, I've had moments where, where I've worked something out with someone else, where I think God was more honored than anything that's ever happened on the stage, and, and it's both end, but, but, but that's a great point. We get to the second part of the prayer, guys, and anybody can jump in here, um, and Jesus prays not for the world, which is funny because that's who we think we're all trying to reach. But he prays for his own. Anybody have thoughts on that? I would love to jump in on yeah. this because when Mike was talking earlier, I was thinking about, you know, when people have near-death experiences, a lot of times we're like, my life flashed before my eyes. And when Christ was up against his nearest to death moment, our life flashed before his eyes. Um, and I think that that's what we're being called to in this difficulty of trying to love other people. At the beginning of the chapter, in verse 6, he says, they were yours, you gave them to me, mm. talking about us. And I think that we have to look around at the people who God has brought to each of us, like who's in our circle. And those people are a gift that we've been given to live out this faith with. Um, and I hope that in my last moment, um, their life is flashing before my eyes mm. instead of my own. And, you know, Jesus was about exponential growth, and that's what Christianity is about. So, yes, he's praying for us as believers because that's where the church is going to continue to be built. And if we grow, we'll be more effective, right? Exactly. Right. Yeah. But what really resonates with me is the fact that it's, it's, conflict is difficult. Growth is difficult. Growth happens in the dark. Um, and those dark places. And I think that the love that we're talking about, in order for that really to be manifested, there has to be some growth, some conflict, some difficulty. And a lot of times we want to stay away from that. We want to be around people that think like us or talk like us or look like us. And that's not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to love. It's easy to love people like that, but to love in those difficult places. So Mike, you sent out a thing on our, on our family text of the Enneagram personalities and how we can work on ourselves spiritually. And you read my 10 to me in the car, <laughs> to which I'm like, yeah, Mike, I know. The whole, every time I get in the car and ride anywhere, I think about transformation, and then I break every one of these. Mm. Change is hard. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that, I think that there's like, I guess, cynicism is always the killer. So you can, you can get down on, well, the church doesn't do this, the church doesn't yeah. do that. And it's like, I forget who, I think Pete Gregg said this. He was like, you can't, he was like, no one can say anything bad about my wife. And he said, I won't hear it, you know, because I don't want to hear that my wife's too loud. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear anything about my wife. He goes, but I can say a lot of things. I can be critical about my wife. He goes, you know why? Because I love my wife. Mm, yeah. And he was like, you can't be critical about the church until you love the church. Yeah. And Jesus had a lot to say about the church, but yeah. in this prayer, what do you hear? I love them. I love them. I love yeah. them. I want that. Yeah. And it's like, if we can, if we can love, if we can love the church, if we can truly love the church, yeah. I think we can be critical about it. And the same thing applies. I can, I can approach you and say, Hey, listen, I'm sensing something or whatever. Can I have a conversation with you about it? Only if I love you first, right. you know? 
I've said it for years. There's a lot of books out about the church doesn't do this, the church doesn't do that. If this is a guy who writes in isolation and sits on Laguna Beach, I don't read it. But if he's in the laboratory, if he's in the church, I'll listen to anything he has to say. Anna? Yeah, I mean, I think that this love and unity that we're talking about, it can't happen if we stay the way that we are right now. And that's kind of what we're coming back to. And I'm, I'm to look at what verse it is, but where it talks about being sanctified. In verse 17, it says, sanctify them by the truth and your word is the truth. Um, and I think that what that looks like in our life is this very non-glamorous practice of sitting and reading the Bible. Mm. Um, I did some math last year on this when I was challenging myself to read through it. And for the average person, it should take about 50 or 60 hours to read the Bible at the average reading rate. Um, you know, that's way less hours than The Office is or yeah. like any of those TV shows that we watch. Um, and I just kind of would pose to the group, what are the rhythms that you have in your life around Bible reading that maybe have been helping you grow and be more sanctified? Well, Randall, you said that you, uh, you run every other day. So how much do you read? <laughs> <laughs> Putting me on the spot now. Well, I read often. I read a lot of different things, too. And I read a lot of different books. And the Bible, obviously, is one of the things that I read. And my rhythm in the morning, in fact, I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. What's our structure now that we're working remotely? I've been working remotely for the last three months. So I get up early, obviously, like most folks. Um, and I get into a little bit of reading personally. I just want to challenge that most folks are not getting up early right now. <laughs> but keep going. Yeah. So anyway, he's old but, enough that he can't sleep, even though he looks 35. I need my five hours, and once I'm up, I'm yeah. up. But I do have a, I'm structured. I love structure. I love things to be ironed out. I grew up in a military family, so that's my dad coming out of me. So I do spend time in the morning in the scripture, in the Bible. It helps to settle me, think about my day. And it gives me really that course uh, that I want to set myself on for that day and really for the rest of the week, if you will. I'm thinking about things that are going to happen in the future, what interactions I'm going to have with people, be at work, outside of work. What kind of instruction can I give to my family that's biblically, has a biblical foundation? So these are the kind of things that I go through in terms of reading. I read a lot and the Bible is part of that, but I try to use what I read with my community and with my family as well. Yeah, and I think it's imperative. It's, that's a good question, Anna, but um, that we take in more of the word than we do of the world. And because we are going to reflect that, that which we are, are eating, we're going to reflect it. And so I think that for me, you know, that's a, a struggle and a challenge. I did finish the Bible in two years. It should have taken me one, but um, I, it took my husband about a year a and a year Bible. <laughs> but uh, I think that for me, I think you talked, Pastor Bob, about abounding and abiding. Yeah. And so I love to abound. I love to abound. I love to go out to do, to serve. But I think that the abiding is critical and that we just can't live this out unless we're in this word. What we're going to live out if we're not in this word is whatever we are taking in. And if we're in our news feed, if we're social media, it's polarization. And that's what we're going to do and be. So it so is critical. So. Yep. so, again, I feel like we can't get away from this unity idea. And this has driven me crazy because so many books are written and people uh, talk about this, but unity is not uniformity. The beauty of the church is we are different. Seven churches in Revelation. Uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, who started Calvary Chapel, said church was like Baskin-Robbins. There's 31 flavors. Is Baskin-Robbins still around? It's an ice cream store from years ago for, for us old people, I Randall. Um, I don't remember. But, but what, he, what he meant was some people love the beauty of um, the Episcopal Church or liturgy. Others like the charismatic stream. 
we're never all going to believe the same thing. We're never all going to look the same. But I think we are struggling, uh, we are striving for, for a oneness of spirit, a oneness of gifts. So, uh, Mike, I remember years ago when there was a dialogue about hell, right? There was books written about hell is real and then hell's not real. And I remember you, I think you were 20 years old, you said, you know what? I love all these people that are writing these books. I just wish they all got in one room and when dialogue about it, it would help me as a young Christian. Yeah, and I, I think that I think that um, when people a lot of times talk about the the church and disunity in the church, um, one huge thing for me is like I don't know who, I don't know what the church is when we talk about that big C, yeah. the collective church. It's like where does that start? Where does that end? Right? Um, I know what our church, Calvary Chapel, Delaware County, is because it's like I see you all on Sunday, you know, so that makes sense. But the broad church, people say there's disunity in the church, and it's it's hard because I can't even wrap my arms around the church. But I do think that um, in every case where you have this confrontational aspect where we, you know, we brush up against each other and how do we solve this issue that doesn't seem like reconcilable, um, can you humanize the other side of your argument, you know? And I think mentioning Ravi Zacharias, one of the things I I said when Ravi Zacharias passed away, I said his legacy is going to be that he was um, he was the person who always wanted to win the person, not the question or the argument. And I think that's the legacy he he left. He was obviously like a brain, you know. But every time somebody was asking a question, it was like he was ten times smarter than the person. But my own personal conviction is that he was praying in the back of his head for that person's soul before he answered the question. And so for us, with disunity in the church and like, you know, the stuff that's going to pop up right now is going to be, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about, um, there's going to be huge race conversations. Is the church speaking out on this appropriately? And before you jump in and say what your statement is, can you humanize the other side? Um, And I think that's that's important. I have a, my pastor in New York says, um, whenever he's in a, Whenever he's in a tough confrontation, he humanizes the other person by asking himself a couple intentional questions. What do you think this person looked like in first grade when they were going to school? Mm-hmm. What, was, what, what did they feel like um, when they went to prom or they got asked to prom? You know? What was it like on graduation day for them? And all of a sudden what you're seeing is you're seeing a story unfold before your eyes instead of like a statistic. Yeah. And so that's what like a lot of times you see on the news, it's like, Depending on what news source you watch, it'll be like, hey, somebody, you know, some, uh, a person got shot in this area, whatever. They put up like a mug shot of the person. It's like, well, what did that person look like when he was graduating high school? You know, what did that person look like on the basketball court? Let's humanize the person before we get into our agendas on either side. Can we do that as believers? Yeah, I think sometimes we're so tempted. I mean, I am. I love to read. And so, like, an issue happens, coronavirus, the stuff in Minneapolis. And, like, my knee-jerk reaction is to just, like, read a lot of different sources about it. Like, just read a lot on the Internet. And probably what my reaction should be as a Christian, there's some theologian who says, I have the Bible on one knee and the New York Times on the other. And so it's that, like, striving to have more of the word than the world, but, like, having some of both. Um, and where I'm often weak is that I just read everything that's on the internet and form an opinion instead of going to God and asking the question or going to the word and kind of asking the question and trying to let him speak in, into how I should be reacting to this now with the people that I'm with. Yeah, and I think it is the word. Um, I think it also is prayer and the spirit of God. And it's also going to another believer that may be able to inform or educate you on that subject and having an authentic conversation, which doesn't, 
include an agenda or needing to win the argument, but includes really a willingness to understand, as, and as you were saying, empathize and listen. So I think that that is the word, but it's also the other believer, and it's the spirit of God. And those conversations have to be tackled with prayer. And Jesus wasn't removed from this, right? He, he lived in a tension where the Jews and the Samaritans were at odds. And, 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 and Jesus didn't wear, you know, he, he, he didn't wear a placard. He didn't pick it. He didn't politically get involved. But what the brilliance of his ministry was he made them the heroes of his parables. He brought to light the fact that, that they were human beings and that they were made in the image of God. And he said the gospel will go Jerusalem, Samaria, that's people that don't look like us, and to the world, the rest of the world, which the rest of the world were the Gentiles, which were the total outcasts to the Jews. So he modeled this, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think uh, our willingness to get out into these communities, and I think that's what we're saying, uh, to take risks, to get engaged in conversations with maybe topics that we're not as comfortable with, maybe we're not as well versed in those topics. However, if you take the risk, if you feel a passion for engaging in conversation, I think sitting in your own silo and your own beliefs can be, can be detrimental. So I, I agree, going out to those areas where I don't necessarily visit that particular place or go to that place, that's to me, that's a calling to go to that place, let them see and understand where you're coming from, and also get their perspective about where they are right now. So I, I'm a, a believer Yeah, Randall, there's a pastor who wrote a book called Just Walk Across the Room. And what he was saying is anytime you're in a room where there's a racial divide or a socioeconomic divide, can you be the first person to walk across the room and engage? And it's in the back of my mind. I don't always do it. I want to do it. I don't always do it. But it's one of the great thoughts I ever had. Can I be the first to walk across the room? Because once you walk across the room, you're going to find out you have a lot in common. Exactly. Yeah, and I'm also very appreciative of even this conversation because I know one of the criticisms, and I can criticize my wife, my husband, <laughs> <laughs> but one of the criticisms of the evangelical church is just the silence about issues that are close to the heart of marginalized populations. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so just the willingness for us to even have this conversation, I'm appreciative and I believe that we as believers have the wisdom of God. And so we have the power to solve a lot of these problems. It has to start with the church. So I'm, And I'm you know, Lisa, uh, uh, you and Randall, African-Americans, minorities, uh, we want to engage. I, th I think a lot of people uh, that are of the dominant culture uh, have a lot of questions, but we're afraid to ask questions. So when I, you know, I was 17 years old in Virginia, and both of my roommates were African-American. And it took about three weeks, and then finally we sat down and said, what was it like growing up in your house? And they asked what it was like growing up in my house. And uh, it was just so insightful, so... So we have a lot of questions, and you're right. It has to begin with dialogue. It has to begin with, and with the spirit of God. Right. Man, how can we not move this ball up the field? Right. So guys, we have to land the plane. It's been a great discussion. Um, Jesus prayed the church would be one. If you really want to be cynical, Mike, you would say his prayer was never answered. That the big C church has failed. And we can go through church history and say it's failed. But you know where I think it succeeded? I've traveled to a lot of countries, a lot of states, and I gotta tell you, every time I meet a Christian, 
It's like they've been my relative my whole life. Anybody else have that experience? Oh, yeah. I mean, I could be in Russia, and we don't even speak the same language, and I feel like we're family. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, so I think the prayer has been answered. Maybe we'll end just with a few experiences, and then we'll talk about church reopening. Anybody? Absolutely, and I can start. Um, this happens all the time. In my, in my job, I travel quite a bit, and I go to a lot of different cities and get to meet a lot of, a lot of different people. But I can tell you in any given month, if I'm on an airplane or if I'm on a train, I sit by another believer. And we, we, don't, even, we don't even particularly strike up a conversation about the Bible or God, but there's just certain nuances that we go through. And then we get there where we talk about our walk. Uh, we talk about experience that they've had with their particular walk. I share where I, what I've been through in my background. And this happens, I don't think it happens by happenstance. It's a way for God to, again, help me understand, yes, I am real. There are others like mm -hmm. you in this world. And I want you to continue to find those others who don't necessarily believe in me. And maybe this relationship sparks that type of dialogue it's with really other good. people. Yeah. Oh, I felt that many times. I think for me it feels like God is answering this prayer. It's not like has it been answered yet or not because things are not finished. Point. So there's this feeling that like, yes, he is answering it. He is drawing people towards love and, and drawing us closer to him. Um, but we're kind of like Moses standing looking at the promised land, you know, and God being like, hey, you took this long journey, but like you don't get to be there in your lifetime, sorry. Um, <laughs> it's that feeling of like looking for the glory of God, I think, where we say like this is being answered and not only is it being answered, but God has invited us each into helping to answer this prayer that Jesus is praying by making us his hands and feet. And so we get to participate in the answering of this prayer during our lives. You wanna go? Ladies first. <laughs> so I think um, for me, there's kind of two aspects. One, um, you're right. When you meet people that um, are believers, there is something that connects you. I'm thinking right now of um, Dieter and Magdalene Hoffman, who are just incredible people of God. But we actually started attending this church about the same time. And the, Dieter is born in Germany. I mean, they're very different from me. But the feeling of love that I have for them is just so overwhelming. And it's funny because my son met them um, a couple of days ago. And he was like, oh, I just love those people. And it's actually because I think that they are so grafted into the word. And the Holy Spirit is so much a part of them. But then I think also the, the broader picture is, as you were saying, Randall, just meeting people. And you can almost kind of tell. You know, I've had people, I've said, are you a believer? And it is the spirit of God that is in us and that recognizes one another. Mm. And I, I'm not cynical about it at all. I'm optimistic because it's, you know, I, I guess like when Jesus said, be you perfect as I am perfect, I have never been perfect. But I think that all of the fulfilling moments in my life and the times I most truly felt connected with myself were the times when I was getting close to being like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so um, do I think that this unity is possible on this side of heaven? I don't know. I don't think that's a question I have the expertise to answer, but I think it's the most worthwhile endeavor to go for. And so why not for the sake of like, let's just say even being in, you know, I was going to say this room <laughs> for what our community in our specific community, can we just actually bridge those divides? Can we have that kind of unity? Can we have that sacrificial love? Can we have that laying down of our lives for each other? Because I think like these things are hard. Like this is, this is Jesus minutes before betrayal at Gethsemane leading to the cross. This is minutes before. And his prayer is, listen, as I go through this hard thing, 
here's the joy set before me, the unity and the love of all of this. So let's say it is hard. Let's say the conversations over the next couple months are hard. Let's say COVID is hard to get. So let's say all the crap between denominations is tough to sort out. Great. There's a joy set before us. So deal with however hard it is. Lay yourself down. Have a funeral for everything you want. Um, be ye as perfect as you can. <laughs> So I get the last word, and I think of that one verse in Jude where it says, keep yourself in the love of God, which sounds really strange. How do I do that? Well, it's the abiding we talked about. And one commentator said, you know, we should stay under the spout where the glory comes out. And mm-hmm. when I think of John 17, that's what Jesus always did. Uh, you know, I've glorified the Father. I, I've only said the things he wants me to say. At the end of the day, we're all going to get criticized. We're all going to feel lonely. But there's an audience of one. And as long as that connection's good, I think the rest of it will yep. work out. So. so, guys, thanks. And I want you guys to stick around because I'm going to make the announcement that Calvary Chapel Services Live start next week, June 7th. little yes. round of applause. <laughs> and um, our service times will change. In fact, we're in a time of change. So uh, to mitigate crowd size, even though we are outside, which is safer and healthier, Services will be 9.30 a.m., 11 o'clock a.m., and then 12.30. So uh, that's when we're starting next week, June 7th. Uh, What everybody wants to know is how are we starting. So instead of talking about it, we put together this short video. Uh, Let you all watch the video, and then I'll say a few final words. Okay, everybody, now you know when we're coming back, June 7th, on a Sunday. The question is how are we coming back? And we're coming back to a place you're very familiar with our sizzling summer lawn. This is a gift God gave us 15 years ago. We've been doing church outside for a long time. We're gonna do it differently. Obviously it's on a Sunday, not a Wednesday. And if you look out on the field, you'll see uh, the first section will be chairs that are spaced six feet apart. So you will be social distance if you are someone who's coming alone or single. Uh, we're gonna ask that you sit in those chairs. That means you don't have to bring your own chair. After that, there will be those snow poles that are six feet apart, showing where a new aisle starts. You can see some of those out there. Uh, That's where people that are bringing lawn chairs would start new aisles. And remember, there are people that have been together, like my family of five has been quarantined together. We don't need to be six feet apart and neither do some other groups that have already been together. We're gonna have this be a wonderful place to come and worship God, not a police state, okay? We're gonna police ourselves out of a spirit of love. So the final question everyone wants to know is, will we wear masks? So before and after, all our staff will wear a mask. We ask you to wear a mask. Obviously, if you order coffee, you wear a mask. But during the service, we don't think it's necessary. We'll be socially distanced. Safety will be the number one driver and all this, and we think that's a safe policy. Um, When it comes to singing, we think if someone sings, they should wear a mask. So we'll do this for the month of June. We think in July we'll go inside, still offer service outside, where in real time you'll see the service on the large screen. So uh, remember, you can social distance as far as you want. This is a long lawn and our sound will carry. We look forward to seeing you June 7th. Uh, We've weathered the storm, we're not out of it yet, but we know God's in this. We'll see you then, thanks. So we put a lot of thought and effort into this. Uh, We'll have a few choppy weeks and I think we'll get our sea legs and we'll be okay. 
Uh, I shared weeks ago, what will we be like in the new normal? We know when we're starting, we know how we're starting. What will we be like? We'll be social distanced, but I think what we talked about today, we need to fight for community. We need to choose grace over judgment. We don't need to look at somebody without a mask and then rush over there and judge them. We need a spirit of grace. We have to stay mission focused, guys. This is the gospel. Our gathering together, there's something special. There's Jesus in our midst. There's lost people to reach. There's people to comfort. There's people that need healing. We're going to do more with less, right? We're going to have less resources, but we still have this great mandate. And we're going to do it with a courageous spirit. So obviously not everybody can join us. There's still people that will choose to stay at home. The live stream will be still in effect. There is no children's ministry, but bring your children. Uh, if that's what you want to do, we think we'll get children's ministry up and running in July. And then there's a couple uh, late-breaking things we thought of. We're going to take the first row of cars, and we're going to make that a tailgate section. So you can back your car in, pop up the tailgate, sit in there. Uh, it's going to be a, just a different time, but I think, guys, we're ready for it. Randall, you're on the board. You and I have talked, geez, from the first day where we had to cancel all the way to now. Uh, you want to share some of your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely, Bob. And what I, what I appreciated about this process is that, like you said, we did dialogue about this. Uh, we wanted to be smart about how we were coming back to church. I think that that was most important for everyone. And then we want to be able to pivot as well. Uh, we know that COVID-19 is part of the community, so we want to be cognizant of that. As individuals that attend our church, uh, we want, to, want them to be aware of that, but we want to make this a safe environment for everyone. For me personally, I'm excited about getting back to the church. I miss people. Uh, it's great to have Zoom. It's great to have the live stream, but there's nothing like the real thing, if you will. And, and I do appreciate the fact that we have people that are excited. I know we're excited. Uh, we've had conversations about do we start this week? Do we start two weeks from now? I think now is the right time. Uh, for folks, and you've got to make that choice as, a, as an individual. Uh, if you are in one of the groups that might be highly susceptible, probably you want to wait some time before coming back to church. But if not, come and join us, and let's be smart around each other. So that's, that's what I would encourage people to do. You might be wondering, how do we pick this date? Well, uh, Thursday, they're lifting the Delaware County mandate. Uh, also, the president, two weeks ago, uh, uh, said churches have a right to... To, to meet. Churches have always had the right to meet. Uh, uh, we know some of this is political. We did not make a political decision. Anna, the survey uh, kind of gave us a little bump, didn't it? Yeah, I think as we were even thinking about how we are a church all together and wanting to make sure that everybody is heard as we make this difficult decision as a group on what to do next in a kind of crazy time, I just want to say again, like, thank you so much to all 800 plus of you that filled this out thoughtfully and shared your opinions and feelings because it really helped to make an informed decision. Um, you can see up on this graphic that we have all different ages represented. So thank you for our under 18 and our plus 75 people, you know, who everybody weighed in all the way across the board. And you can see that we asked you on a scale of one to five, how comfortable are you with coming back to church outside with access to restrooms? And 76% of the church was either a four or a five, signifying that they felt really pretty good about coming back to church outside. So we're excited to be with you knowing that. There was also a little bit of surprising data. I thought that the younger people were, the more likely they were to be a four or five on the scale, that because they were less 
in that susceptible age group, they would probably say they're ready to come back. But what we actually can see in this graphic is that the people who were on the older end or middle-aged end of the scale were way more likely to have put a five that they were ready to come back. So I'm ready to see some enthusiastic middle-aged people out on this lawn <laughs> um, and can't wait to see your faces next week. Yeah, and I've been part of a network on Zoom of pastors, and my heart really breaks. Mike, your church in New York falls in this category. Uh, a lot of churches rent facilities, which we did for, gosh, 17 years, and they can't go back and do church because they rent schools, and schools are saying, look, if we can't be back, you're not back. Uh, so we counted a blessing. Mike, we've done church outside. We didn't invent this. We've done it for 15 years. Yeah, it's funny to think about just the way that God prepares certain things. And I do think that there's, um, you know, when I, when I just look at Calvary in general, it's like there's a lot of churches who do have their hands tied in meeting in person. And so that's great. You got to pursue what you can pursue. And so my church in New York is slicing and dicing a hundred different ways to gather people together. And there's going to be amazing fruit that comes out of that. It might be a whole paradigm shift in the way that church is done. For us, God's given us a beautiful property. And this, the chops of having done Sizzling Summer so much that basically we're ready to go. And so it's always, always work with what you got. And what we have is a facility that can facilitate having church outside. If you, if you go to Central Park in New York, there's a thousand people outside. And, you know, Riverside Drive and all that. And it's like people want to be out. And so how cool that in such a time as this, um, we're given the opportunity to create um, a pretty safe space for people to be able to worship that's not indoors. I just think it's cool. Lisa, one of the things we're going to have, we will have coffee. Not specialty drinks, we'll have coffee. But Lisa, we're also going to have a kiosk there. You're in charge of information on Sunday mornings, and that's going to be critical because moving forward, people are going to have to know, you know, small groups are going to loosen up, people can do that, but, but we're really going to have to drive where we're going. Right, and at the kiosk, there's going to be information on a variety of things, um, where you can get plugged into a small group, what else is going on, the Zoom meetings that are still occurring, but also some plans that we may have, as you and I discussed, for some future smaller gatherings, and just to gauge interest, and please just come by and say hello. I have uh, met a lot of you now virtually. I've met some of you over the phone, and I would love to meet you in person and to see the ones that I haven't seen for a while, so um, I'm really excited. I want to thank everybody for giving to the um, 10 Million Meals Initiative. Uh, guys are just killing it, and um, that's a lane that Convoy of Hope really knows. They're feeding people across the country. But, uh, Lisa, we'll talk about this in a few weeks. We have a couple avenues for people that are chomping on the bit to actually go and serve in Philadelphia and in Chester County. So we'll get to all that. So next week, guys. We'll still be on the live stream, but we will be here live, three services, June 7th, 9.30, 11, 12.30. We'll see you then. Have a great day. God bless.